Welcome to Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host, introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada, J-Man the Star, from Vancouver Island, Motorhead Mark, and Cruisin' Corinne, from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Electric Aaron, and of course, country rock singer G.M. Blacktop, produced by Calgary's Power Pack. We are Highway Freaks. That's right. We are the one and only Highway Freaks. Real truckers, real life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host with a cold today. Yes, so go easy on me, panel, because, uh, well, I'm not used to having a cold, and uh, it's definitely affected my throat. So if I start talking like this, you'll know. Okay, so this is podcast number 57, our visit. We call them visits, and welcome all you freaks. What a week again. Uh, warm weather continues in Alberta, thanks to El Nino. Love this winter we're having. The temperature's hitting 13 to 18 Celsius in parts of Alberta. Now, Greg, you're a Fahrenheit guy, so that's probably sitting around 30 or 40, right? Yeah, I think so. We've actually, like I said, Truckee's been running in and out a lot because we were close to 60 here today. Wow. Yeah, I'm I'm liking this. So um, on my road crew joining me tonight, Cruz and Corinne. And, and by the way, Cruz and Corinne, you and I are going to switch up topics tonight. You're going to be talking about the unique uh, voice of Miles Goodwin. And we lost him recently at age 75. And then I'm going to be talking about a unique town in Whittier, Alaska. So um, that's going to be a bit different for okay. sure. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be featuring April Wine songs tonight, some classic music. Uh, I don't know if you know much about April Wine, Greg, but uh, they, uh, they're they a pretty iconic Canadian band, and uh, we just recently lost the lead singer. Yep, so. I, I know them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we'll also be playing four songs uh, from, or three songs, rather, I should say, from GM Blacktop which you might as well call him our sponsor of the podcast now. He's our house band, and um, we're going to feature some of his um, hit songs from a few of his latest albums. Well, let's ask a little bit about whose topics uh, we're going to be talking about tonight. Corinne, we know yours, so we'll just skip to GM Blacktop. What's on your mind tonight there, buddy? Uh, Tonight I'm going to be talking about the sexual adventures of the Pokemon. What? (laughs) Is that not allowed? No, no. Oh, then I'll probably just talk about, I'll just probably talk about uh, the way human nature has worked uh, in the last seven centuries. Oh, okay. Another deep, deep topic. You and your deep topics. (laughs) Okay. Um, Ghost Hunter Greg, I gave you a topic about a month ago, and I think you're going to follow up on that tonight, right? Yeah, I got a little information about the uh, show Happy Days. Ah. Great, great. We all loved Happy Days. Who can't remember the Fonz? We're also going to get into a discussion, all of us, of quitting your job. Because yours truly did that recently. And I want to get some experience of how you guys quit a job. Like, did you quit it and, you know, drag, drag your tail between your legs and go out the door? Or did you quit it as uh, me being not a conformist? Uh, letting people know that, uh, well, Brian was here. 
So, uh, so I'm looking forward to that discussion with you guys as well. So, uh, also coming up is part three of the Brian Vollmer Helix interview tonight on the eye opener. I think you're really going to like that. And James P. White, he's a little person radio announcer from Cruise FM Edmonton. Part one will be on the eye opener next week on visit number 58, but that's not all. We've got him coming on the show, guys. He's coming on on January the 11th, and he's going to talk about his passion project, which is the Pink Shirt Day Against Bullying. So looking really forward to having this this guy on our show, um, and he might possibly be a part-time regular. You never know. So uh, I'm, that's another thing we should look forward to. Uh, other than that, uh, as we get closer to Christmas, we are going to, and yes, just to let you know, we are going to have Christmas carols this year and everybody has to sing a Christmas carol. What about us non-singers? <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, That's if you, okay. Get, you, you get me singing, you're probably going to get taken off the air. Oh, that's okay. That's all right. We like to hear everybody. So um, we're going to do that. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to play some classic April wine. And then, Corinne, you can go into your uh, biography on Miles Goodwin. Okay. So this is called Say Hello on Highway Freaks.
that was Say Hello by April Wine, which ties into uh, my death bio on Miles Goodwin tonight. So it's starting to seem like a weekend can't go by lately without losing a well-known celebrity. And this past weekend on Sunday, December 3rd, the Canadian music industry lost an icon, Miles Goodwin, at the age of 75. Miles is most famous for being the lead vocalist, guitarist, and songwriter for the Canadian classic rock band April Wine. Through his music career, Miles released two solo albums and 16 studio albums, along with many live and compilation albums as a band member of April Wine. He was born in Woodstock, New Brunswick, June 23, 1948, and grew up in Nova Scotia. In a 2016 interview, he said his mother passed away when he was a child, leaving four males in the household. There was no affection, no communication, just lost souls. So he turned to music, and it was music that saved him. In 1963, Miles met a newcomer to his Nova Scotia community, Jim Henman. The two became friends through their common interest in music. During high school, they formed the band Woody's Termites, performing hit parade songs on weekends. This evolved into them writing their own songs. Miles and Jim parted ways, starting new bands, which never gained popularity. Jim was in a band, Prism, but not the famous one that we all think of immediately, with his cousins David and Richie Henman. In 1969, they disbanded to attend university. Jim quickly discovered university wasn't for him, so he asked his cousin David about starting another band, but writing their own songs this time around. David agreed, but requested that Jim's friend, Miles Goodwin, join the new band. Many band names have unique and interesting stories to how their name came about. April Wine got its name simply because David Henman already had had the name picked out and in his mind. The four of them decided if they wanted April Wine to make it big, they had to get to a larger centre with more opportunities. In early 1970, they recorded a demo, wrote a letter, and sent it off to Aquarius Records in Montreal. Well, how they interpreted the response was actually not what was really being said in the reply. Being told to stop by if they were ever in the area was a gentle way of Aquarius Records saying they weren't interested. Except Miles and the band took the meeting of the letter to say the record label was interested and off the four of them went to Montreal. Executives were surprised to see them show up but decided to give them a chance because they did like their music. Terry Flood became their manager and Donald Tarleton of Donald K. Donald, their booking agent. April Wine quickly became the label's number one act, along with establishing Canada's first true national touring circuit for Canadian bands. In 1971, Jim Henman decided music business wasn't for him and he was replaced with Jim Clench. A few years later, in 1973, David and Richie Henman left April Wine and were replaced with new band members, members drummer Jerry Mercer and guitarist Jerry Moffat. April Wine saw many band members ch member changes over the years, a total of 19, except for Miles. He stayed with the band until his retirement in 2023. April Wine's first real hit, It Could Have Been a Lady, was in 1972, but it wasn't until 1978 when they released Roller that it opened new avenues for April Wine in the US and international markets. They were recognized by the big names in the music industry and opened for acts like The Guess Who, Ike and Tina Turner, and Stevie Wonder. In the mid-80s, band members were not getting along and Miles moved to the Bahamas for a break. 
When he returned in 1988, there was talk of a reunion, which did not happen until 1992. Once they got going again, they continued to release albums, go through band members, and tour with big names like Styx, Toto, Boston, Def Leppard, Foreigner, and Meatloaf. Both April Wine and Miles as an individual achieved many awards and recognition from the music industry. April Wine sold over 10 million albums worldwide and were inducted into the Canadian Music Hall of Fame in 2010. In September of this year, 2023, April Wine was finally inducted into Canada's Walk of Fame. The band received 11 Juno nominations over the years, but never brought a Juno home. In 2002, Miles won the National Achievement Award at the SoCan Awards. In 2003, he received the East Coast Music Awards ECMA Lifetime Achievement Award. While a band member with April Wine, <clears throat> Miles released two solo albums, Miles Goodwin and Friends of the Blues in 2018 and Miles Goodwin and Friends of the Blues 2 in 2020. Both blues albums won Miles the ECMA Award for Blues Recording of the Year in 2019 and 2020. Along with being a singer, songwriter, and musician, Miles was an author. In 2016, he released his first book, a non-fiction, Just Between You and Me, Miles Goodwin, a memoir. His second book was released in 2017, entitled Elvis and Tiger. It is a fictional novel about a man living under the pseudonym of Aaron Smith since August 16, 1977, who wants to meet the up-and-coming Tiger Woods in 1997. During one interview, Miles admitted to being a romantic, and this part of him came through in his songwriting. The result was many successful April Wine ballads. Their ballad, Just Between You and Me, from the platinum album, The Nature of the Beast, was their biggest hit in the U.S. Friends described Miles as very headstrong and would not back down from anyone or anything. He battled a few health issues, including diabetes, which was the reason for his decision to stop touring and retire. After retirement, his plan was to continue to be involved with April Wine, managing and writing songs for the new album coming up. Miles leaves behind his current wife, Kim, and three children from previous marriages, Amber, Aaron, and Corey. Do any of you have anything to add about Miles? Yes, he's a personal friend of mine. I can't believe he passed away. Yeah, last uh, Sunday on the 3rd. Oh my goodness, I didn't hear anything about that. Like, I, I, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm devastated. Oh my goodness, like, I'm sorry to break with you. I'm sorry? I'm sorry to break the news to you this way. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh you, my, uh, no wonder you, he wasn't communicating with me on Facebook. So how did you get to meet uh, Miles Goodwin, Tony? Oh, this is interesting. Okay, so I brought my little girls to the Oakville Music Festival, and they were playing. And then at the end of the concert, everyone started walking the other way. And I said to my girls, come on, girls, we're going to get backstage tonight. So we did. We got backstage, and they have a lot of... Uh, fans that come there and they bring all kinds of food and it was so nice and we got their autograph at the end of the night miles gave us a limo ride home and uh so i was singing of course in the <laughs> in the limo and he was very 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 interested in in uh, pr in producing my music but uh, he says give your uh, demo cd to my security guard and 
you know, we'll get together and we'll see if we can produce your music. So anyway, um, the security guard had a little bit more intention with me. And the only way I was going to get my CD to Miles is if I did, you know, unforgivable things. So that didn't work out. But anyway, Miles and I laughed about it. We talked about it. And we've been friends on Facebook. And I'm just devastated. He's a really, really nice man. All world. Yeah. When was it that you met him? I'm sorry? When was it that you met him? What year? Oh, oh, geez. I'm trying to think. It must have been um, 2002. So 22 years? 21 years? 21 years ago, yeah. I can't believe that much time went by, but we connected on Facebook and we've been friends ever since. I'm, I'm just shocked. I didn't even know. Well, uh, I don't know what to say about that. I, gu- I guess, uh, you know, Highway Freaks is always on top of the latest stuff. So, uh, yeah. now you know. Yes, yes. Yeah, it really sucks that we're losing so many great musicians. I heard yesterday that... Uh, Denny Lane passed away, who was, he uh, was one of the original members of the Moody Blues and of Wings, who, of course, became yep. Paul McCartney's backing band. Yep. Well, people get old, then they die. That's, that's the cycle. best way to put it. It's, yeah, exactly. And it's it just seems late. to be a lot lately. You are right. You are definitely right on that, Greg. I think the best, Dan, I best, I think the best album for April Wine was my, always was my favorite was. Stand back with album start ding 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 <laughs> No, I I I gotta disagree. Harder faster was way, way more wicked. I mean it had some of the songs that we're playing tonight, Say Hello, I Like to Rock, Just Between You and Me, Ooh, What a Night. I mean, there's some really great songs. Um just pure Canadian classic rock. Uh, very, very sad to hear that uh, he passed. And, and I think he was actually touring just recently, as a matter of fact. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they they were, they were actually, he was going to be writing songs for another album for them. Wow. I found another it interesting great that he was with them right from the beginning. He never, never left the band at all. No, no. Just like Brian Vollmer, 45 years of recording. Uh, Miles Goodwin, much on the same uh, level. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, anybody else got any April Wine stories? That was quite interesting, Tony, actually knowing Miles Goodwin. That, yeah. I didn't expect that. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> I probably Small had world. some. Small world. I probably had some frolicking adventures during listening to while well, listening to April Wine, but. <laughs> I guess that's where it comes from. I like to rock. Yeah. 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 And a roller. Uh, uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. So, well, anybody else got some final things to add? And then we'll uh, carry on to the next topic. I want to hear about happy days with Ghost Hunter Greg. Okay. Well, that's a great topic. As usual, Karen, you did a fantastic job and great information there as well. So um, I don't want to sound morbid, but maybe I'll make you my death bio girl. So. <laughs> I'm fine. I like the research. <laughs> okay. 
All right. So we got some GM Blacktop, and after this, it's Ghost Hunter Greg and stuff you didn't know about Happy Days coming up. This is The Real McCoy on Highway Freaks. I was born the son of a preacher man. I learned a good book in school. Mama taught me about love and manners. Elvis taught me to be cool. Well, it didn't take long till my hair got long. That's risky for a minister's boy. It may not like the way I look, my buddy, I'm the real McCoy. I spent 12 years in a semi truck, hauling ass up and down the road. I learned the ways of a gypsy man. I got whipped and stripped and bowed. You just can't touch it burns from the soul inside You can't hide behind a wallet Or what you want to call it It's sitting there in his eyes Show me Now I took some pain for my crazy ways I burned a few bridges too Had no choice. It may not like the way I've been, my buddy, I'm the real McCoy. There's something about a man that you just can't touch, it burns from the soul inside. You can't hide behind a wallet, or what you want to call it, it's sitting there in his eyes. Turn it up. Hunter Greg, glad to be back with you guys again after a uh, <clears throat> a period of illness. Um, I'm still feeling pretty rough, but feeling much better than I did. So, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about a television show from my childhood, for sure. Uh, back when I think we had maybe two or three channels that we could get on TV, and and one of them 
had this show on there. And that's the show Happy Days. Happy Days is an American television sitcom that aired on the ABC network from January 15th, 1974 to July 19th, 1984, with a total of 255 half-hour episodes spanning 11 seasons. So, a very long, long time. Created by Gary Marshall, it was one of the most successful series of the 1970s. The series presented an idolized vision of life in the 1950s and early 60s Midwestern United States. And it starred Ron Howard as Richie Cunningham, Harry Winkler as his friend Fonzie, or the Fonz, and Tom Bosley and Marion Ross as Richie's parents, Howard and Marion Cunningham. Although it opened to mixed reviews from critics, Happy Days became successful and popular over time. The series began as an unsold pilot starring Howard, Ross, Anson Williams, who I believe, if I right, he played Patsy, which aired in 1972 as a segment titled Love and the Television Set, and it was later retitled Love and the Happy Days for syndication. On ABC's anthology show Love American Style, based on the pilot, director George Lucas cast Howard as the lead in his 1973 film American Graffiti. Great movie. And that was causing ABC to take a renewed interest in the pilot. The first two seasons of Happy Days focused on the experiences and dilemmas of innocent teenager Richie Cunningham, his family, and his high school friends attempting to honestly depict a wistful look back at adolescence. Initially a moderate success, the series' ratings began to fall during its second season, causing Marshall to retool it. The new format emphasized broad comedy and spotlighted the previously minor character of Fonzie, a cool biker and high school dropout. Following these changes, Happy Days became the number one program in television in 1976 through 1977. Fonzie became one of the most merchandised characters of the 1970s, and Henry Winkler became a major star. The series also spawned a number of spin-offs, including Laverne and Shirley and Morgan Mindy. The show is set in Milwaukee, Wisconsin during the 1950s. The series revolves around teenager Richie Cunningham and his family, his father Howard, who owns a hardware store, traditional homemaker and mother Marion, younger sister Joni Cunningham, and Richie's older brother Chuck, who was briefly in season one and two only and disappeared from the storylines afterwards. The high school dropout, leather jacket clad greaser mechanic, and suave ladies man Fonzie, who would eventually become Richie's best friend, and the Cunninghams over the garage tenant. The earliest episodes revolve around Richie and his friends Potsy Weber and Ralph Mouth, with Fonzie as a secondary character. However, as the series progressed, Fonzie proved to be a favorite with viewers. And soon more storylines were written to reflect his growing popularity. Winkler was top billed in the opening credits alongside Howard by, by season two. Fonzie befriended Richie and the Cunningham family and 
when Richie left the series for military service, Fonzie became the central figure of the show, with Winkler receiving sole top billing. In later seasons, other characters were introduced, including Fonzie's young cousin, Chachi Arcola, who became a love interest for Joni Cunningham, of course, Richie's little sister. The series pilot was originally shown, as I said, as Love and the television set, later retitled Love and the Happy Days, for syndication. A one-episode teleplay on the anthology series Love, America's Day. I think I already, yeah, I already read all that, didn't I? I think I already got most of that. Happy Days spawned successful television shows Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy, as well as three failures. Joni Loves Chachi, yeah. Blanky's Beauties, which I'd never heard of that one. I don't I mean, obviously, because it failed. Featuring Nancy Walker as Howard's cousin and Out of the Blue. The show is the basis for the Happy Days musical tour in the United States since 2008. The leather jacket worn by Winkler during the series was acquired by the Smithsonian Institution for the permanent collection at the National Museum of American History. The original light gray McGregor windbreaker Winkler wore during the first season eventually was thrown into the garbage, that's a shame, after ABC relented and allowed the Fonzie character to wear a leather jacket. Some very interesting information there. I have actually have some other facts here that I found kind of interesting. If I can get it to open. There we go. So, happy days. And this is this one blew my mind. I can't imagine this. Happy Days was supposed to be set in the 1920s, not the 1950s. When Gary Marshall was first approached by Paramount executives Michael Eisner and Tom Miller in 1971 to create a new sitcom, they envisioned something set in the 1920s or 30s. Marshall told them he knew nothing about flappers, but he could write a show about the era in which he spent his teen and young adult years, the 1950s. He put together a pilot about a Midwestern family that just purchased their first TV set, the first one in the neighborhood, and how the teenage son planned to use it as a chick magnet. The series didn't sell, and the pilot ended up as a vignette on Love American Style. The dumping ground of failed pilots, according to Marshall. I could you imagine the Fonzie in a zoot suit? Yeah, I I can't imagine that at all. Another factoid: the show's creator wanted to call it cool. Test audience reported that cool made them think of cigarettes. However, so producer Carl Kleinschmidt suggested, "How about calling it Happy Days?" That's what we're going. Show. Another interesting factoid Ron Howard signed on to avoid the Vietnam War. Very interesting. Ron Howard wasn't looking to do another series. He had recently enrolled at USC School of Cinematic Arts with the goal of becoming a director. He had a small problem nagging at him, however, a low draft number. 
and Uncle Sam was no longer handing out student deferments to college students. There was a possibility of Howard getting an, an occupational deferment, though if his employment was directly related to the employment of 30 or more other people. Luckily, Paramount was a large company with enough employees who would be out of work if their star was drafted. So Howard signed on to play Richard Cunningham. Even though the pilot didn't sell, Howard could breathe easily since President Nixon had ended the draft shortly after filming had wrapped. Another interesting factoid, Happy Days predates American Graffiti. George Lucas's Oscar-nominated 1973 film launched a craze for 1950s nostalgia, even though the movie was set in 1962. Casting director Fred Roos had worked with Ron Howard on The Andy Griffith Show and recommended him to Lucas for the role as Steve Bolander. Lucas dug out the Love and Happy Days episode of Love American Style to determine whether Howard could play an 18-year-old high school student convincingly. Once American Graffiti became a runaway success, ABC decided that the time was ripe for the 1950s-era sitcom and George Marshall project to be resurrected. And this one tickled me. A monkey. Yes, a monkey could have played Fonzie. When Henry Winkler got the call back after his first audition for the role of Arthur Fonz Rally, he was taken aback when he saw that the other contender was former monkey drummer Mickey Dolenz. So, yep, it was a monkey. According to Dolenz, Winkler admitted to him later that he had thought, oh crap, Mickey Dolenz is here, I'll never get it. Dolan's was Marshall's original choice to play Fonzie on the strength of a recent guest appearance he had made as a biker on Adam 12. But at six feet tall, Dolan's towered over the five foot nine Howard, so Winkler was deemed a better fit. And one last one here I'll talk about Henry Winkler actually struggled to read his script. Winkler struggled, Winkler struggled in school as a child no matter how hard he applied himself. His German-born parents had a nickname for him, Drummerhund, dumb, which means dumb dog, that's pretty damn cruel, which didn't help his self-esteem. He wasn't diagnosed with dyslexia until he was 31 years old. When he auditioned for Happy Days, he only had six lines, which he made up because he couldn't read them. That's not in the script, the producers pointed out. Thinking of, this, of his feet, Winkler replied, I know, but I'm giving you the essence of the character, and if I get the part, I'll do it verbatim. So some fairly interesting information I've I located there. Really, really what shocked me was the was the whole idea of Happy Days being in the 1920s. Could anybody really imagine that? No. 
I don't think it would have been as successful if they had done it that way. Oh, no, no, there's no way it would have. It would have been a complete failure. You can't compete with bad boy biker image with the Fonz. Like, that just... Well, yeah, it's like I said, could you imagine the Fonz wearing a zoot suit? No. (laughs) His A wouldn't quite be the same. (laughs) Yeah, in a zoot suit carrying around a violin case with a Tommy gun, you know? Yeah. Now, uh, Greg, didn't uh, wasn't it uh, said that Marion Ross was actually quite the smoker off uh, off camera? Honestly, I didn't find anything about that. I I vaguely remember her maybe in the early early episodes, her actually smoking on camera. I remember it used to be a thing that they could you could do back then. Right, right. Okay, and another thing, uh, th- did the Fawns really know how to ride a motorcycle? I don't think he did. There was something, I, I remember reading something that said something about Fonzie, or, uh, Fonzie really didn't jump the shark. Well, yeah, duh. I think we kind of can figure that one out. But I, I kind of doubt Henry Winkler had that ability. I think he had a lot of problems riding the motorcycle initially, and uh, that's apparently that's what they were saying, right? Um, oh, I, yeah, if he was having trouble, trouble, I can imagine they didn't really want to put it on film. I'm sure there was a stunt guy there somewhere. And I think she's the only one, uh, well, the remaining one that's still alive. I think she's around 95 years old now, from what I understand. Uh, Mr. C, played by uh, Tom Bosley, he's gone. Uh, Aaron Moran, she's gone. Uh, that was quite tragic how that happened. Anson Williams is still around. And Don Donnie, uh, uh, Don Most is still around. And, of course, Henry Winkler's around as well. Um, and... Laverne and Shirley, of course, are both gone. So, but yeah, it was a great show. I thought it was uh, well done. And even when they carried on with Fonzie and uh, Ted McGinley, who was playing Richie's cousin, I think, if I remember correctly, uh, when he was on there, um, because uh, Ron Howard left Happy Days after uh, to pursue a career in, in directing. And of course, we know how great a director he turned out to be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's done some amazing movies. He has. He has, absolutely. So, GM, you got anything to add? No, other than it was a great show, and uh, I agree about the 20s, because he wouldn't have been able to hit a jukebox in the 20s, so they'd have been screwed there. (laughs) Uh, I don't think they had jukeboxes in the 20s, did they? No, I don't know if there had been a a burger place for kids to hang out either. No, much. It was a great show, really. It's so great. I I often thought that the Fonz was smaller, was small for a big, uh, tough biker guy. But you just explained it that they didn't want him towering over uh, Richie Cunningham. So I didn't know that. So that was cool to learn. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed the show, like most shows up to a point. Eventually, the riding starts getting kind of crazy, you know, especially when Mork for Mork, Nanu Nanu showed up. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah, that one went off the rails a bit, but I mean, they reeled it back in because he had his own sitcom and it did pretty well. Uh, but I, I'd never heard those other two that you mentioned. Uh, Blackie's Beauty, was what was that? 
Yeah, I that was one I'd never heard of either. I mean, it, it, obviously it says that failed, so it must have failed horrendously. It probably didn't even get, probably didn't even make TV at all. What was it yeah, called? Joanna loves Chachi. I remember that one. I also didn't realize that it spawned from American Graffiti, which was an amazing, great movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, I didn't yeah, know that. Hell, yeah. Harrison Ford was in that. Interesting stuff about Happy Days, and uh, yeah, it's some uh, really good back to the, the uh, off the camera stuff that you didn't know. Uh, always one of my favorites. It still holds up today, this day. I mean, you can still watch reruns, and you can still get a laugh. Uh, you know, when Fonzie jumps the shark, okay, that was the California thing was a bit uh, over the top. But then again, the Brady Bunch thing with when they went to Hawaii was over the top too. You know, um, series do come to a peak where they got to go okay we got to create something different let's get spawns to jump the shark that'll be good and he actually didn't jump the shark if you actually look at it he actually kind of sideswiped it so okay there's some great stuff good tidbits on happy days and that series still holds up to this day so we've got some gm blacktop and rocket on highway freaks
Nose Rocket. It's the song about the truck driver's life, starting from when I was you know, a young man, 15 or 16, up to to the recent. Anyway, uh, tonight my topic, I'm happy to be here, by the way. I'm Jim Blacktop, and I'm happy to be here on Highway Freaks podcast tonight. Tonight I'm going to talk about uh, human nature, and I think it's going to be a kind of a discussion on different points. But I'm going to go back, you know, multiple centuries and and discuss the way the, the hierarchy of, of humanity has worked uh, in favor of the elite or, the, or in those days, the royals or whatever the case may be, maybe a combination of the royals and the elite or the, I'm sorry, and the, the peasants or the farmers or the regular people or the commoners, as they used to call them. And the whole way of thinking uh, then and then centuries further than that and then today. So, for example, um, the commoners were there basically to provide for the uh, the royals or the elite. And, of course, they had to pay much land tax and all sorts of fees and, you know, payments that they had to make to the royals. Uh, had to give them their undoubted, uh, you know, uh, loyalty and that kind of thing and when it came to war for example you could have a you could be a father of a family of three uh and if the king said we're going to war and you're you're there <laughs> you know it's not even about the you know training it's like you have to do that so it's kind of like uh the value of, of personal life was secondary to the wishes of the king which I don't know how that would hold up in this day and age. It's one of the things I wouldn't mind talking to the panel about. Uh, and then when you move further into the big wars, you know, between England and France and the Scottish Wars, that kind of thing. Uh, again, it was, and, and, and the Norwegians and, you know, blah, 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 the people that came over from Scandinavia. Um, the, the whole war thing was, was, the loyalty was put on very top. If the, if the king wanted you to die, you were supposed to die. Um, so I don't know how that would fall today. And I don't know how that's supposed to make a man feel when he's got three kids at home, that his life is so worthless that somebody's whim to, to conquer more land would cost him his life and his life with his family. So that was uh, something I wouldn't mind throwing at the panel. Uh, and then we can fast forward uh, to, um, and I'm not just talking about war, I'm basically talking about all areas of life were donated by the commoners to the elitists in some form, whether it was respect or whether it was loyalty or whether it was, you know, um, you know, uh, having to do jobs for them or whatever the case may be. And then you can fast forward to the more current, more current wars, First and Second World War, uh, when they started, even in the U.S. and Canada, when they started uh, conscripting. I mean, that was a big thing. I mean, uh, I've often wondered today if, in this day and age today, if there was conscription, how many people would say, no, no, I'm not going. I mean, that happened a bit in Vietnam, but there was still a lot of pressure involved in that. And, you know, Gary might have a... Um, an interesting view on this because he probably was around in those days uh, down in the U.S. So I think I just wanted to find out what everybody's thoughts were about how, 
your job as a commoner, because it really kind of is that way today too. Your job as a commoner is to please the elitists or please the rich or whatever the case may be. And if you have to give up your life for the king or the rich or whatever, then that's just something you're supposed to do. And how human nature has sort of taken a hold of that and said, nah, I don't want to die for, for somebody else. Um, so I wanted to kind of get everybody's you know, opinion on how that all worked. And right from back in those days to in the days of medieval times to, you know, the days of current. Like, for example, uh, I think I mentioned this on one of the podcasts before. Caligula was a terrible leader. I mean, probably inbred too, but... Uh, he was bored at a big Coliseum event one time and just decided to throw a hundred people into the lion's den, uh, lion pit, because he was bored that day. They weren't having much action. So, so what, what kind of a person does that for starters? And secondly, why is it up to the commoner to just throw themselves at the whim of, of a ruler? Um, I guess it's because they'd be killed or banished or whatever if they didn't do it. But, I mean, that certainly wouldn't happen today in this in U.S. or Canada. But I wondered if people would be standing up saying, no, I'm not sending my kids, my, my son to war just because, you know, Trudeau wants this or just because Biden wants this or just because of oil or whatever the case may be. I think that's a growing thing. So I've, I've often wondered if conscription would even work today. And my, my personal feeling is that it would not. But after looking at the way they handled COVID, um, that kind of made me wonder if it would, because most people just fell into line, just like they do, just the con, just like the commoners did with the royals. They just fell into line, start squealing on their neighbors, started treating their neighbors like they were garbage if they didn't get a shot, or if they did get a shot, people would see them as stupid. I mean, it was just a whole mess of of human nature and cultural uh, differences. So I've often wondered if if the conscription came back, if there was a war, which might very well be very well be the case sort of looming right now uh whether they would resort to those measures and if they did resort to those measures would people um go to war for the government uh would they give up their guns for the government would they would they bow down for the government so these are the kind of things that i wonder i wonder about in this day and age was it is it like the old days where you would just, yeah, I, I got to die for my government. That's all. That's the way it is. I'm not sure a lot of those guys going to Vietnam were thinking like that. I think a lot of them were kind of tricked into the whole concept. Ah, yeah, you'll be all right. You know, you're just fighting a bunch of little guys. And then how many died that? 600,000 or something crazy amount. Uh, anyway, so I'm going to throw it back out to the panel. Um, like, for example, maybe I'll get Gary's... Uh, uh, view on it, being an American, uh, what you're thinking of what I just talked about was. Well, I got to tell you, if you really, if you really look deep into uh, everything that's been going on, especially the U.S., you guys, several other countries um, around the world, if you really delve into the way the governments have been dealing with situations and with with their people and and so forth there's really not a great deal of difference between now and let's say the days of kings 
I mean, you, you, you got to look at how kings ruled. Uh, kings ruled by keeping their people very close to them. They ruled by keeping their people sick, scared, unarmed, uneducated, and uninformed. Now, what's the big difference between then and now? Think about it. I agree, but I but for example, back in those days, you were just expected to throw yourself at the feet of the king. I don't know if people would still do that nowadays. I mean, uh, just again, look deep, man. Look deep. At some will. Some, oh, I, look, I know some look, will. Yeah, maybe most. At, look at some of the government people that have the things they're trying. You know, with yeah, you guys, you guys. I don't know what kind of. I mean, we're lucky here. We've got the Second Amendment. And that's what's yeah. helped us hold on to our weapons. But it, you're not going to get my guns. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, I'm going to watch what I say on here, but yeah. 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 And in this country, as many guns as there are, there's no way they could do like Australia did and say, oh, well, you got to sell them back right now or blah, blah, blah. Or Illinois has been trying this kind of crap. They're, they're now saying, oh, you have to. If you own an AR-15, you have to, you have to register it with us. And how are they going to make, you know, several million people do that? It's just not possible. Okay, so how did they do it back then versus now? And then the other thing is too is that they have weaponry now. Like for example, that time that retard that runs the country. Sorry, I should just call him some mental case, but uh, <laughs> he said that. Well, if we want our guns, they can fight us back, but we have F-18s. It's like, that's a very true point. <laughs> if they really want to, they could get everybody guns. I don't know if it ever would ever come to that. And there'd be a lot of guys dying trying to keep their guns. But uh, in the old days, it was just just common knowledge that, you know, if they want something, they get it, including your wife's kids, whatever else. You know, uh, the soldiers yeah. and, you know, some of the yeah. shit that was going on with that yeah it, i mean there there are those differences but i think it'd be pretty difficult for the governments to to shove the military at us because i don't know that they're going to get the full the full monty when it comes to the military i think the military is going to go you might have a yeah <laughs> yeah no we're not going to do that with the, yeah you mind i'm not doing that <laughs> Didn't they have a little bit of that already when COVID hit? And sending well, the yeah, they're yeah. they're they're now they're now saying that the it's very likely that the government and the military is gonna gonna have to pay all those people back for all the millions and hundreds of millions and maybe even billions of dollars that they're owed mm -hmm. in payment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you yeah, guys, I think you got. That, you guys had it up there with the truckers. I mean, they they were really, really pushing yeah. down on on Whistle Dick's throat pretty hard, and he kind of he kind of well, he obviously he chickened out because he disappeared for a while. Well, he's also over their bank accounts, shutting their accounts down. Some went to jail, and uh, he was like, "Y'all yeah. can't be telling us what to do." And you know, that's that's you know, that's the, the whole thing was between... a real pest. That's the difference between you guys and us. We've got, you know, our our forefathers set 
all those things in place to say, hey, if if this government we got here just become a bunch of assholes, you know, let's let's protect the people. That's what the Second Amendment's all about. It allows us to protect ourselves against the government and against other idiots. But is that really happening? That may be happening if you're a liberal, but if you're a conservative, I don't know if that's happening. Look at January 6th. Those guys didn't even do anything wrong, and some of them are still sitting in prison. And, uh, you know, the whole thing is now the government's got the power to, to, to rig whatever they want and set up anybody they want and with all the technology around. Exactly. Like that January 6th thing is crazy, you know? Yeah, I don't agree with what they were doing on January 6th, I wouldn't have been there. Wouldn't have been something I wanted to do, but yeah, they, they were, it's, it's finally really starting to come out that, eh, yeah, that was a lot more to do about nothing than what people want to make. And it's definitely wasn't, you know, what we call the summer of love when we had BLM and, and Antifa and all them burning federal buildings down. Right. And what was done about, what was done about that? Yeah, very little. Nothing. Slap on the wrist. Well, talking about talking about the way society works. For example, in the days of the witches, you know, they would say somebody was a witch, so all of society came out and started raising their pitchfork. They wanted to burn the witch. Blah blah blah. A similar situation happened there in the sense that people were protesting, and then they had a bunch of plants in there, FBI and whoever else that was inciting them and getting them all riled up, just like they would a a crowd of people trying to burn a witch next thing you know things got out of hand but i'm pretty sure it was it was driven by political agenda uh and they knew that human nature was if if the people just if some people just kind of pushed the limits of what they were doing the others would follow and that's 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 also human nature probably uh, uh you know yeah, days exactly. when they were hanging people when they would, you know, 5,000 or 500 people would show up to see a hanging, all chanting, you bastard, you bastard. I don't even know what's going on. They're just being part of the moment, right? I think that the same thing happened in that January 6th. And maybe the same thing happened with Black Lives Matter, too. But the difference is they didn't do anything about that, like you said. Yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot more to that than just the whole Black Lives Matter thing. That was simply Antifa. We were supposed to yeah. be anti-fascists are very well known for latching on to causes yeah. and yeah. using them for their own. Antifa mostly are communists, or yeah. they want they want, want communism, and they will they will like I said latch on to something like. Black Lives Matter, or they might do the abortion thing. Now they're latching on to the whole thing in the Middle East, and they will just do that. It's basically yeah. it's Antifa in a different mask. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And like I said, and a lot of those young kids are just misdirected youth that you know don't even really know what they're doing. They just want to cause a shit, you know. It's yeah, a terrible yeah, thing. they're uh, correct. Corinne, what do you think about this whole human nature thing? Pattern over all of time, where just different situations, different people, but there's always that, if you want to say, the ruler and the common people and giving themselves. And I mean, nowadays we have our, well, if you want to say, leader politicians who try to tell us what to do and we work our butts off paying taxes and 
they've got technology and they use threats and and the whole bit it's it's the same same idea same pattern just using different methods and and um like technology now to get the same end result so how come we haven't been able to change that in 2000 years I don't have the answer for that. If I if I did, maybe I'd be a leader instead. <laughs> instead what do you of a think, conference. Brian? Why haven't we changed that? That that you know we're subordinates uh, to you people when we're the ones that are supposed to be voting you in. Why haven't we, as as common people, changed the uh, the narrative for leaders versus commoners and how the world works? Why haven't we been able to do that in two thousand years? I said it's quite simply, actually, and Greg can probably agree to this. As Canadians, it seems we like to be led. And we're a very passive uh, bunch of people in Canada. I'm sure all of us Canadians can agree with that. We certainly aren't patriotic by any stretch of the imagination. You got us beat there. All you got to do is look at your Super Bowl compared to our great, great flop. Um, and... Uh, I'm sorry, but that's that's the way I feel about it. We we don't have a patriotism that the Americans have, and they you know they like Greg says you'll never get my guns. Well, uh, in Canada they're donating guns. You know here here Trudeau, here I'll gladly give you my AK-47 or I'll gladly give you my you know shotgun or whatever. So I think that's where it comes. And unfortunately, we have this uh, really how do I put this? They're they're so outdated, the monarchy. We don't need them anymore, okay? Um, do you have any idea what Canada gives the monarchy every year? It's staggering, absolutely staggering. Millions of dollars just because they're the monarchy. So to answer your question, I think we're like cows. We like to be led in the pasture. But that's last 150 years. So, so we can make that point. You can make that point and it's understood and, and agreed with that that is the case. But that's only the last 150 years. Prior to that, everybody was an immigrant. And prior to that, there wasn't even anybody here at all. Uh, so, you know, I mean, we're talking about days of, you know, Romans and stuff like that. So, again, I can ask my question, with the exception of the last 150 years, maybe there's reasons for that. Why would society let people do that for, okay, 2,850 years? I mean... 1850 years rather than 2000 you know i mean it's a really weird deal that that the commoners have basically treated themselves like the lowest on the pecking order like horsewood or dogs would and uh really isn't about canada the u.s because that's like i said the only last 150 years that's that all started so what made a society um Makes you wonder if we're just a test, if, if we're just a test species, you know, um, because that's sort of the way we, where we seem to belong. And it, is, it kind of bothers me, to be honest with you. Yeah, but the even, whole thing. Let's ask. Even in the animal kingdom, they, there's a hierarchy. Look at a wolf pack. There's a hierarchy yep. in a wolf pack. Let's yeah, I ask agree, but we're supposed to be question. smarter than that. Let's well, all ask Cav that question. I'd like to. I'd like to hear his feedback. Deep discussion, man. This is the human nature, you know. Like once they see someone with power and all, they just become crazy. I would say. And in India, most of the stories related to kings are the same thing. 
always instead of thinking like yeah the guy we are following is the same as us why why cannot we like stand with like instead of like the guy showed up with money and everyone just kind of like start following them you know in india there was used to be a culture at the back when somebody showed uh how can i say that one rupee bill people just kind of like sit down and like bow to him like some kind of god you know it's it's all like stupid idiot how how can i describe it but yeah same thing with india and i would say more in india because in indian side the kings and everything was way more compared to all the like sides in north side here but yeah i would say people are stupid man and they will say it like that and still we are following our government as well you know so doesn't that make you wonder if it's it's all a test doesn't it make you wonder if it's all if we're all just kind of test subjects and we're all supposed to be stupid is that this is the kind of things i think yeah. about. you know the one who tried to be good and stand against were killed or something so i would say yeah everyone is like stupid man i think i think <laughs> it goes back to what motor girl was saying it's a it is an animal behavior um we are animals yeah we are mammals and it's just and it's not everybody that's like that uh i'm you know i i vote for who i vote for and then that's it yeah that's all you freaking yeah. get from me and that's that's yeah. what my that's yeah. what my dad taught me he sat me down when yeah. i got old enough to to vote and he sat me down in the garage mm-hmm. and said hey here look listen you do your own research you figure out who you want to vote for you vote for that person and then if they win you don't give them any more than 50% of your trust or your support ever again because they will stab you in the back just as quick as you, as you can blink. Right. So I, I agree with all of that. But, like, again, I, it, the, the problem is is that, first of all, as far as that being animals, I, I, mean, I agree with that too, except that we're supposed to be, you know, a thinking, a thinking species. For example, we can put people on Mars or not people on Mars, but we can put, allegedly, we can put people on the moon, build cars, houses, you know, a wolf pack can't do that. In their own right, they can. But I mean, I'd like to think that we're, we're supposed to be a bit more, uh, you know, uh, advanced than, than any other animal, even though you get some things like birds can fly, we can't, you know, so You'd have to, people could argue that, but I guess the point I'm making is if we're supposed to be an intelligent creature, how in the world could we all lay down the way we do? Like, like even what you're saying about, you don't give them anything, you know, well, you still give them taxes. You still follow the rules. You, you know, we all lay down for the, for the people in power in one way or the other, we're not allowed to speed. So you don't speed. You know, you're not allowed to steal, so you don't steal. It's morally wrong anyway. But you, you see my point? Like, we're all laying down in some way. Yeah, yeah, I completely, completely understand. But, you know, following rules is, a uh, man, you're really, really, really delving into a into an issue here. Um, yeah, you keep talking about is it, po- is it possibility that we're just we're just a test bed. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you look into the whole idea of, of, of alien races that have been coming to this world for, for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, could it, yeah. could we be implants and maybe, you know, it's like South Park did an episode where the earth was just nothing but a big TV show 
that the yeah. that the universe was watching. Is that a possibility? Well, hell yeah, are, it could be. Are we any different than ants who all die for the queen? And are we any different than them? But they, they couldn't use ants, of course, because they needed buildings built and they needed cars invented. So are we an intelligent form of ants that are exactly the same thing as ants? Uh, and that's really why we're here is just to build up the rich. Like you have to wonder stuff like that sometimes. I had to wonder that all the time, dude. Mm -hmm. So Brian, what do you think? I think I'm going to start calling you brigadier general. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, mm. I think so. Well, I mean, these are things that I think about, man. Hello, oh, yeah. you, just, you, you just go to a local Walmart ground here and you're like, what the fuck am I? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, true. You know? So another another deep topic by GM Blacktop. So um, one day I'll be happy when you just have a topic like, why is there snow? <laughs> yeah, well, well, I can't. It's not going to happen. Too. No, I know. I can't. I can't do that. I gotta get. I gotta get things off my mind. Like it's I mean, either gonna be. About it's it's gonna be really deep or, or really deep or really dirty. Yeah, I, I can like talk to have a jab movies. just for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has to be all right. But yeah. uh, you know, I mean, I could talk about a lot of things, but I always have to sort of filter my brain to say, okay, well, oh, I certainly can't talk about that. Certainly can't talk about that. I'll see if I can try this one. You know, that kind right. of thing. But anyway, uh, there you go. That was my topic. Okay. Hey, GM, well, just, real, just real quick. Have you ever read mm -hmm. the art? Have you ever read The Art of War? No, I have not. Uh, Sun Tzu wrote it. Uh, okay. I'd highly suggest reading okay. it. It's not, it's, it's not a very long book at all. You can pick it up on Amazon for a couple okay. bucks probably, but it's it's really, really, really interesting. And Great he book. talks about this human nature thing? Huh? He basically, he talks about how to fight and win war. Yeah. Well, that made me think of another another example. For example, like for example, look at the Chinese and the Japanese. When you were in a when you were a warrior in those days, if you shamed or you screwed up, you'd have to stick a fucking uh, sword right through your butt, your your sternum. Like that's how if the emperor wanted you to kill yourself. You'd you gladly kill yourself. Like you have kids and wife and everything else. You gladly kill yourself. Like I, I just don't understand. Yeah, well, this book that I mentioned is is written by a Chinese gentleman. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. just crazy though. Like in this day and age, if somebody, if the government told you to kill yourself, you would tell them to go pound salt, wouldn't you? Oh yeah, in Harvey. You know, so what was the difference now versus the days of war? I mean, even well, hold on. but even back the up, example back in up Vietnam, there, GM. back up there, GM, because the government told us to get all vaccinated, and we did, didn't we? Because we would lose our jobs. So it's the same concept, yeah. buddy. Okay, Similar, and yeah. none of you or none of me wanted to do that, but we did it to keep our jobs. Now, would yeah. I do it again if it was deemed as a a job ending scenario? Unfortunately, probably yes. Would I do it voluntarily? Absolutely not. Okay, so all they have to do is say you you lose your job if you if you don't if if you don't cut off your left foot, then we're only going to give you a job that you need a right foot. If you don't cut off your left foot, you're not going to have a job. You'll be broke. 
you'd cut off your left foot? No. That's that, that, that's so, an appendage on my body. Okay, so let's play some April wine just between you and me on Highway Freaks. When we get back, I'm going to tell you about Whittier, Alaska and why it is so unique.
This is Brian Ballmer from Helix, and you're listening to Bry Guy on Highway Prince. Okay, so uh, this has been a very intriguing number 57. And by the way, if you guys want to comment on GM's topic or Corinne's or Craig's or mine, um, or you just have an idea for a topic, certainly get a hold of us. It's the Highway Freaks Road Crew or the road crew rather 2022 at gmail.com that's the road crew 2022 at gmail.com okay so we're going to talk about whittier alaska i'd never heard of this place i'll be the first to tell you that until it popped up on my facebook today and i thought wow this is a very interesting place it was selected by the u.s military because the cloud and fog cover would protect the part, uh, the port rather, from Japanese bombing during World War II. They had secured their role as a critical transport that strengthened the U.S. military's defenses against any further Japanese invasion. The Japanese raided Alaska, the Aleutian Islands, but never reached farther than Dutch Harbor. Whittier remained secure while daily life in the city consisted of a close monitoring of activity. So now we get into some military information. Um, during the early stages of World War II, General Simon Buckner commanded the defense of Alaska and was concerned that they would attack by air. To protect the troops, General Buckner recommended a facility that was independent from local power plants, bomb-proof, and that had sufficient storage spaces. Whittier, Alaska was the perfect place to have this military base. First, the Bay Area around Whittier, Alaska, has deep water ports that stay ice-free year-round. With Whittier being one of the two all-weather railroad ports that supplied Anchorage with military necessities, it was important that it would stay functioning and safeguarded. Second, the most constant cloud coverage would protect the facility from airstrikes. Now, the Cold War triggered the United States Army Corps of Engineers to quickly build housing and recreational spaces for a 1,000 soldiers moving to Whittier. The Composite Bachelor Housing Service and Recreation Center, also known as the Buckner Building, was completed in 1953. This combined building had a mess hall, sleeping quarters, movie theater, bowling alley, small jail, and tunnels connecting the town of Whittier, Alaska. The building used to be one of the largest in Alaska, often being referred to as the city under one roof. The building is six stories tall, about 500 feet long by 50 by 150 wide, and is approximately 275,000 square feet. The building was cast in place and reinforced concrete on slate gray whacked bedrock. Now, in 1964, Whittier was hit by an earthquake. That was the year I was born, and I, I always knew earthquake had something to do with my, my being born. Um, it lasted about four and a half minutes. A total of 13 people died in Whittier, and damages to federal and privately owned land was estimated to cost over $5 million. Back in 64, that's a king's ransom. The Buckner building was slightly damaged, though it was minimized due to the foundation being on bedrock, as opposed to the majority of the town, which rests on unconsolidated sediment and therefore received more damage. The Buckner building also runs northeast-southwest oblique to the seismic motion, decreasing the effect of the earthquake on the building. There was no structural damage to the building, and subsequent inspections found the building to be in good condition. However, the building continued to operate until 1966, at which one point the military pulled out and the port of Whittier was transferred to the General Services Administration. After the military left, the ownership of the Buckner building went through a handful of private citizens starting in 1972. At one point, it was owned by Pete Zamorello, who wanted to turn it into a state prison. With the windows and doors missing, the elements began to take it over in the 1980s. 
Water infiltrated, leaving the building in a constant state of freezing and thawing. The building went into foreclosure in 2016. The city assumed ownership and a fence was built to keep trespassers out. A structural assessment of the building in 2016 concluded that it was unlikely that any significant portion of the building could be rehabilitated for occupancy. So why am I talking to you about this? Well, I'll tell you why. The town of Whittier, Alaska, is known basically for having nearly the entire population living in a single apartment building that's 14 stories high. The building is called the Baggage Towers. It's a 14-story apartment complex. It houses 90% of the town's residents, total 272 people. It earned Whittier the nickname of a town under one roof. This gets really interesting. It was originally constructed as the Army Barracks, which we had discussed. It now serves as a cozy condominium featuring a post office, general store, police station, laundromat, health clinic, um, the uh, office, uh, uh, a uh, mayor's office, I should say, and of course, a heated indoor pool. Whittier, Alaska is only accessible only by air or through a single lane tunnel that takes two miles to go through. Okay, now that what what happens is there's a mountain and you got to go through this immense two mile tunnel, which is actually part of a glacier, I might add. And you actually have 30 minutes to go through it. And not only that, a railroad track is so you're actually driving over a railroad track. It's quite interesting. So for $13, you go through this tunnel and then the other side of the tunnel is the support of Whittier. And that's how you get to Whittier. Uh, even big rig trucks can get through this uh, tunnel. It's actually rated at 14 feet. So uh, it just barely covers uh, the big rigs trucks. So um, anyway, that's not all. In addition to the Vegas Towers, there's a second condo building in the town where there is a remaining residence where they live, okay, which of course would be the town school and the gym. And that's located in a separate structure, but they're still connected to the Baggett's Towers by a tunnel, allowing for easy access during the winter months because it gets darn cold up there. Um, and it was built this way because of the tsunami that decimated the town in 1964 from the earthquake I talked to you about. Since the area was prone to earthquakes, the town council at that time felt that this was a better option. Now, they haven't had an earthquake since. So um, I guess that's probably a good thing. Interestingly enough, a lot of the town people are, anybody guess what the nationality of the town people are? Chinese. Russian. Okay. Greg? Mm, Russian. Russian? Corinne? Oh, I'm not sure. Just take a guess. Ukrainian, I don't know. <laughs> Samoan. Okay. Whittier actually has a very large population of Samoan immigrants, which of course would come from where? Hawaii originally, right? Um, and they settled in, in Whittier and uh, they uh, that's where the, a lot of them live. Go figure, huh? Whittier can get up to 45 feet of snow in the winter season. When you leave Whittier, the tunnel is timed, like I was saying, as there's also a railroad on it. So if you miss it, you got to wait another hour. The trains come through for the tourists aboard the cruise ships. There's a large cruise ship port, and it's the, it's actually the gateway to Prince William Sound. What that means is, <laughs> this is how they put it, don't stop here, just go on your way through, unless it's in the summer and they have fantastic uh 
well, they have fantastic fishing for one camping. It's absolutely spectacular. I was, I was looking on the internet and some of the pictures don't do it justice. Um, Whittier embraces the community for the sailors and commercial fishermen. And um, I might ask, by the way, the tunnel closes every night at 1030. So if you miss it after 1030, you got to wait till the next day. As far as the fish goes, some of the best halibut fishing occurs here. And um, well, who doesn't love halibut? Has, has anybody not had halibut here on the podcast? I love fish. Oh, halibut is just great for the hell of it. I just love halibut. Halibut and cod. Yeah, if I was going to go to Whittier, I would go just for the halibut. Yeah, I, I, I knew you were going to say that. So the tunnel is called the Anderson, the Anton Anderson Memorial Tunnel, and it's named after the Army engineer that completed it in 1943. And as far as the railroad goes, it actually transports tourists to the cruise lines. So they use it for that as well. Uh, Whittier's temperature extremes range from minus 29 Fahrenheit, minus 34 Celsius on December 23rd, 1942 to 88 Fahrenheit, 31 Celsius on July 23rd, 1966. Their average temperature fluctuates between zero to minus 18 plus 10 degrees Fahrenheit. But of course, there's that thing called the wind chill and that's wicked. You can get the wind chills as, as much as minus 40 to minus 50 in the winter. Um, it is the closest port of call to Anchorage, Alaska. The average snowfall in Whittier um, is, uh, well, with wind, rain, and heavy snowfall, uh, you get a precipitation of 196 inches, 16 feet, okay? And the snowfall hits 20 feet. Uh, the waters of the Passage Canal remain ice-free all year round. So what is Whittier famous for? Does anybody know? Skiing. Skiing. Good guess. Good water, guess. Water skiing. Water skiing. Okay. How about large porcupines, black bear, mountain goats, Alaskan wild salmon, humpback whales, sea otters, killer whales, harbor seals, all known to visit this amazing place. And um, during the summer months, you have commercial fishermen and seasonal fishermen. The tourists enjoy the bounty of 15,000 square feet, uh, square mile rather, of Prince William Sound. And it's one of the, they call it one of the richest wild marine fisheries on the planet because you just get an abundance of fish there. Now, here's something interesting. What movie, what famous movie, part one and part two, give you a hint, was filmed at Whittier High School? Back to the Future. Oh, my God. How did you get that? I am impressed, Corinne. Was that just Research. a shot in the dark? Oh, yeah, it was. Yeah. I just knew oh, that. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, it it was. Uh, it was uh it was basically in the film. It was the high school uh campus was featured on Hill Valley High School in 1985, Blockbuster, Back to the Future and the 1989 sequel Back to the Future Part 2. Although if you go down into the catacombs where the tunnels are, they should be using it for some horror movies cuz man, does that look like some scary stuff. But um, I was watching a YouTube video of this couple, and uh, they had purchased their condominium, and it was, I think she was, um, they were on the sixth floor, and uh, they got it for $40,000. Um, I can't tell you that, I won't tell you the price now, but uh, let's put it this way, they got a real deal on it, because everything is very expensive. Obviously, to truck it in costs money, um, but it is a spectacular place. If I was going to put something on my bucket list for the summer, I'd go to Whittier 
definitely. But I wouldn't go there in the winter. Not even you couldn't pay me a million dollars to go there in the winter. I would do it for a million bucks. You don't want to go see all that snow? No, not that snow and that cold. Uh Uh-uh. No, I never want to see Alaska in the winter. I want to see Alaska in the summer because it's quite spectacular. Uh, My mom has actually a friend that lives in Keno, um, which is a way, way, way past Fort St. John. And he gets insane snow, absolutely insane snow. So anybody else got anything to add to this amazing place called Whittier that all the town folk are basically in two buildings? Yeah, I I got a question. I remember seeing a, a uh, I can't remember if it was on TV or something I watched on YouTube or something about about the main big building up there. And the guy was mainly uh, interviewing the woman who ran the post office. And it was just so interesting that she would get up for, and cook her breakfast in her, in her apartment and get ready. All she had to do was go downstairs, go to work, work all day. She would go eat lunch in the same building. She never left the building. She didn't have to. Yeah. That's kind of depressing. It is kind of unique because when you think about it, they really don't experience the cold temperatures in the winter for the kids to go to school. The kids go through a tunnel, so they they don't have to bundle up to go to school. They literally can just put on their T-shirt and their, you know, their shorts or trousers, whatever you want to call it, and just walk under the tunnel to school. So it is kind of neat and quite unique. Um, uh, I think it's a really good idea. Does anybody it think that's a, a bad little, idea? Sounds a little Area 51-ish to me. And the reason I say that is because up there in Alaska, uh, I'd, I'd be anxious to find out how far this is from there. But that's where the U.S. Air Force has the HARP program, which is the thing that controls the weather and bounces uh, radio, uh, sorry, radio waves off the ionosphere. And they can control weather in all of the U.S. and Canada, and it's owned by the military. And they say it's just for weather uh weather you know experiments and whatnot but i'm sure it's a weaponry thing that they the, want to use to learn to use weather as a you know throw a sandstorm in iraq before you invade or whatever the case may be but the fact that that's up there it's called h-a-a-r-p if you, anybody wants to check it out it's uh, it's a real thing and uh it, it goes right back to the tesla days of that of that kinetic energy and stuff and I just ha- I just can't help but think, I wonder if it's connected somehow. I think you talked about that about 15 podcasts ago. I do remember that, GM. And mm. um, regarding Whittier, like, it was the perfect military base because with all the cloud cover and the way it was situated, like, the Japanese couldn't bomb it. So I could see why the U.S. military would want to be there, so, which, again, makes it very unique that, you know, back then, a lot of those towns got bombed, but Whittier stayed afloat. And even though, you know, like I said, people live in two buildings, which, like I said, I think is very unique. I mean, you get to know everybody. That's for darn sure. Um, it's just... Uh, it's just a really good thing for, I mean, it looked to me like there's a lot of elderly people that are living there, but there's a lot of Samoans that really quite like Whittier as well. So that makes it very unique in itself. It's interesting for Samoans who, you know, are South Pacific people would want to want to live in that kind of weather. It's crazy, isn't it? 
Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine, you know, you're going to this place in Alaska and you see a bunch of Hawaiian people, you know, let's face it. They're, they're, you know, they're, that's where they're from, right? Hawaiian looking people. And I don't know if they're going to give you the lays or do the luau, but, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty unique. I think it's, I think it's really cool. And, you know, I would love to visit. I, uh, you know, sometimes I get things that come across me on the laptop and it's like, Oh, I think I'll check that out. So I did have another uh, scheduled topic and we are going to get in to that topic because yours truly recently quit his job. Yes, he did. Okay, tired of the bullshit. And finally, after saying, hey, we're going to suspend you again the third time, I said, Brian, don't play that anymore. So we're going to go to another song, and then we're going to find out how many people quit their jobs and how what were the unique circumstances in quitting those jobs. I know I got a few stories to tell you about that. So we're going to go with some Blacktop Angel from GM Blacktop. On Highway Freaks. Check it out. I wait a ride for the wrong ones. Gotta bring your skins in the game. Most nights are lonely and long ones. We get accustomed to the time. And we drive on. Oh 
Okay, just ahead of the eye-opener, stay tuned, by the way, because we've got Brian Vollmer Part 3 coming up, and Brian talks about Snake uh, from his video. Uh, this guy was tattooed from head to foot, and he, he's got a good story on that as well. And then next week, Part 1 of the James P. White experience, a uh, little guy that's on Cruise FM in Edmonton, Canada. So... Everybody has quit a job once or twice, or in my case, maybe over a dozen. But anyway, um, I want to hear from you guys how you quit a job. It's always one thing I always notice. It's much easier to quit a job when you have another job as opposed to quit a job when you don't have a job. There's a certain uh, attitude that you carry in when someone says, we're going to get rid of you or we're going to suspend you or we're going to keep you under our thumb, which I'll go into that story. But let's ask Cruz and Corinne how she quit a job. Oh, well, one of them was an office office job, a property management company that um, I was trying to move up in the company by taking a property management course and um, when it came down to it they uh, had hired somebody new and he got the promotion over me even though I had been there for a number of years and uh, passed the course and everything just like he did and uh, I just I got tired of the office politics and I handed in my resignation and that's when I started my writing company my writing business that was back in 2019 I just got really tired of of the office politics what kind of writing business is that uh content writing copywriting uh, travel. I've got my own um, motorcycle blog, Freedom by Motorcycle, that when I'm out on the trips, I, I'm posting pictures and my content as I'm going when I've got good Wi-Fi. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm working on, well, I have got a gardening business right now and I'm getting a, a bookkeeping business going as well, but I've, I will be getting back into the writing as well. Mm, cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's Freedom by Freedom Motorcycle. Freedom Rider? Or Freedom, Freedom by motorcycle. motorcycle. Yeah. Okay, I'll check it out. Okay. Greg, you're up. How did you quit a job? Oh, boy. Uh, many, many different ways. Um, I can remember one, the boss was, well, he was a real asshole to begin with. <clears throat> and... Uh, he brought me into his office and said, you know, you're, you're just, you're just really boring and lackluster or something to that effect. And I, I said, well, yeah, that's not what your wife says about me, but, uh, I quit. I like that. I just laughed my butt off. That, that's, that's catchy. I like that one. Yeah. That's in your face. Okay. GM. Absolutely. We're not going to get to mine to the end because mine's very lengthy. But GM, how did you quit a job? It's funny, it's funny uh, Greg used that example because I, ha I had to quit a job one time. I didn't even want to quit. I liked the job, but I, I accidentally or inadvertently, I guess, allowed the boss's wife to seduce me several times and thought that if I don't quit this job, I'm going to end up dead. 
so I had to quit because I figured if this thing came out, this rumor came out, I was probably pretty sure going to be dead. So I had to quit because I let the boss's wife have her way with me a few times, which was really bad on my part, I'm thinking, and hers, too. Wow, wow, wow. wow. I wish I was joking, too. I mean, it was that to verbatim. That's what happened. And, I, of course, I just told him that I, you know, got to leave, got to get off the road, whatever. But I certainly am not even going to say the name of the company or else I'd probably still be dead. Our Pav, have you ever quit a job? Uh, I worked in so many jobs, but I don't think I have any totally like GM and <laughs> I was trouble. <laughs> the mine are like normal stories, but yeah, like I quit McDonald's. That was my first job in Canada. The manager was a Philippine guy, no hit with them, but the guy was not, uh, how can I say, was not nice with the workers, especially brown people. So after the COVID and everything starts, they really need some crew. And most of the people left. At that time, when he called me and he started acting, but I was like, you know what, I don't want to work. I'll, I'll better be at home or working in a warehouse or something than the McD. So I just quit that job. And the second one was I worked in a, it was a company in Vancouver for the cycling, like kind of like a cycling store, but the job was really good. But the boss was same thing. Like sometime he came to the work after having a fight with a wife or something and start fighting with us for no reason. So one day I like, I had enough. I just closed the shop and just left, you know. Uh, that was not, so it would be not something like GM did or even strong, but yep, yeah, I have to quit that job. Okay. All right. I hope you're sitting down, Corinne, because you're going to be laughing your butt off how Fry Guy has quite a few jobs in his life. Um <laughs> Let's start with, we'll just pick one or two maybe. Um, the funniest one I can remember, and uh, I had lost so many jobs one year, and I was just tired of losing jobs for just really did not my job performance, but politics and whatnot, because you get a lot of that in the oil patch. So I was working for the co-op. I can mention that. And they have a saying, you'll feel right at home here. That's their slogan. and. I was hauling fuel, uh, just like, you know, pick up and delivery stuff. And I wasn't very well versed on it. I, I decided to try it out. I was living in Calgary back then. And uh, I basically, what I ended up doing, and the, the fuel card shouldn't have allowed me to do this, GM, so you'll probably know this. I ended up putting gasoline in the reefer by mistake. Ooh. Okay. Because... It was right beside a diesel pump, and it didn't say gasoline. It was just an honest mistake. And I, I think right. I maybe pumped, I probably pumped maybe 25, 30 gallons in before I realized my mistake. Whoa. Go ahead. No, I said, whoa. That's wild. Okay. So I stopped, and um, the guy that hired me, uh, he, his, uh, his right-hand man did not like me. And he was on vacation at the time. So his right-hand man was taking over. And he really had it in for me. He had me doing Joe Boy jobs and, you know, just really mediocre stuff that a truck driver shouldn't be doing. But anyway, I got back and, you know, I was very honest and upfront. Hey, I made a mistake. And, you know, and uh, he hauls me into the office. He goes, well, things aren't really working out. I said, really, Bob? He said, no, I said, uh, 
he said, that was kind of a, a, a pretty large mistake. And I said, well, it wasn't that large of a mistake. I said, anybody could have made it. The fuel card shouldn't have allowed me to get gasoline, right? And then he proceeded to tell me it was going to cost some stupid amount, like $50,000 to drain the reefer and, you know, get all the gasoline out. And I, I called him on it. And he didn't like that, right? So I, he said, well, you know, you're done today. I said, no, I'm not done today. He said, I'm going to continue my shift. And he goes, well, no, you can't continue your shift. I said, no. I said, uh, your buddy John said he would be the only one that would get rid of me, and you actually couldn't get rid of me. But see, in your 90-day trial period, they can do anything they want to you in Canada. I don't know how this is for you, Greg, but in, in Canada, you are screwed, blued, and tattooed if you lose the job in 90 days. They don't need a reason. But I wasn't going to stand for it. So I sat in the chair like I was literally glued to the chair. And he said, I'll be calling security. I said, you go ahead and call security. So security walked in and uh, they escorted me out. And I thought, I saw that sign. You'll feel right at home here. And they were they were carrying me out kind of kind of like really rough. And uh, as I was going out, there's this big platform. And you can look out all the way down into the warehouse. And I go, you'll feel right the F of home here. They F, F, you in the F, F. You know, and it just swear, swear, swear all the way out. Everybody heard me that day. So um, I guess we could say indirectly I quit, but was fired. So that was kind of interesting. Uh, I just recently quit a job. We won't get into that yet, but believe me, we will be doing a topic on dangerous radar systems and lane assist systems for big rigs. And uh, I'll be telling you the story of the company that I worked for. I won't describe their name, but I will certainly describe what they look like and what they're on the trailer. So, because I have kind of a gag order against me for that. So another one that I quit. From the fields of Montana, I just wondered. What's that? Do they used to roam the fields of Montana? I just wondered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they sure, yeah, they sure did. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. They make really okay. good hamburgers too. <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell you, Craig. Yeah. Right. So, anyway, this other one that I quit uh, was quite interesting. Um, I was in the oil patch for the longest time and just bizarre things happened in it. We should do a topic on weird stuff in the oil patch. Cause I can tell you, I can fill a book on some of the weird things I saw in the oil patch. But anyway, I was, I was about to, uh, I was on lease and I had these big, huge, do you remember those Kodiak boots? There, there's massive boots that you put on and you trip over your, your own feet. They're so big. Right. And yeah, I'm a, Yes, with the felt liner, right. Hey, they're really warm, but they're just so cumbersome. So I was tripping on this lease one day and just not enjoying myself. And uh, it was cold. It was probably like minus 30 wind chill. And this guy, Lonnie, I'll never forget about him. You never quit on Lonnie. You never quit on this guy. And um, he came over. And um, back then, you could really be physical with the workers. And he shoved me. And... I shoved them back and uh, just, I mean, you're talking about really heavy duty oil field equipment. That's loud. Well, everybody could hear our argument over it. And I was calling him everything under the sun. And um, he said, you get back here. And I go, I quit this car, you know, and uh, walked away. And everybody was like, holy geez. 
you know, this guy quit on this guy that he, nobody would ever expect him to quit. Right. So once again, Ryan does a, another quit job. So I got to the point, you see, where once you lose your job and my, my uh, fait accompli, if you want to call it, my kryptonite is the first 90 days of any job. I just try to stay out of the, the radar because I get kind of get myself involved in things and then you lose your job. So to the point where I said, I'm, if I'm going down, I'm going down in flames, I'm going to go down loud, loud and proud and hold my head up high, just like I did recently. Like, you know, um, these people thought they could suspend me for five days and, you know, I wouldn't have a paycheck for another month. They'd already screwed me over for three weeks of a paycheck prior to that. And I just wasn't playing that game anymore. And I think it takes a, a different attitude when you have another job in place, because I'm going to have a truck delivered to my driveway a week before Christmas, a 2023 Kenworth T680, I might add. And I'll be starting my my new career, my final career of my last five years before I retire uh, with another company in Manitoba of all strange things. So what I was going to ask you guys, okay, do you feel when you quit a job that you need to walk out with your tail or do you back yourself up and just like, you know, a dog in a corner, a rabid dog in a corner or, uh, you know, a cat that lashes out, do you feel that that's the best way to do it? Walk out a coward. Walk out a coward. No, walk out with your head held high. Never. Exactly. I'm I'm one of those guys, and I'm sure you guys are too. You you don't want to back me into a corner because either I'm going to come out and I'm going to bite you, or I'm going to shit in that corner. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So GM, you feel the same way as well, right? Well, I try to I try to understand that there's bridges you shouldn't burn bridges, but you know you were talking about those big large Kodiak boots and real heavy sons of bitches. That's yeah. no lie. Anybody that's listening, that's no lie because I once kicked the guy in the ass and his balls flew off. <laughs> <laughs> Snowballs? No, it's not. Oh, okay. All right. And this goes off the rails again. Okay. Yep. No, but so what I, I've always what felt that you, you can't burn all your bridges too. Like you have to, I guess, diplomacy, but but definitely stand up for yourself. Like you know, you can't let people walk on you too badly. Life, life no. is too short to put up with all that stress. Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, of the times I quit and it and it didn't end nicely between me and the place that I quit. I don't. I don't think I ever remember going to another job and them saying, Oh, by the way, what happened here? They'll just kind of go, Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh, you never, you never do that. I mean, my new employer actually gave me shit for quitting, but after I explained to her why and all the crap I put up with, she goes, okay, that makes sense. She goes, "I I get it. Because at first she goes, you don't quit a job, right? You gotta, you know, do the two weeks notice. And I just go, well, you know, uh, so-and-so, I tried the best I could, but, you know, when they want to keep you under their thumb and say, we don't want to fire you, but we want to suspend you again, it's very, very blatantly obvious that they just want to keep you in their in their control. And I'm not a guy that gets controlled. Uh, you know, I'm a super nice guy, but like you, Greg, you back me into a corner and I'll come out fighting on tooth and nail. And, uh, 
like I said, when you walk in there and you know you've got another job, then it's even a better feeling because you're not desperate to keep on to that job. Right, guys? Yeah. yeah and I don't, I don't usually give notice either. I don't usually give notice because I'm superstitious. Uh, I've always felt that if I give, especially being a driver, if you give notice, my thinking is that would be the time I'd have an accident and then I'd be screwed. So I don't normally give much notice in any job I leave. I don't know if that's just stupid superstition or what, but it's the way I roll that way. Yeah, they don't give you two weeks notice when they fire your ass. No, that's right. And and you know what? Here's the tackiest thing they did. Um, just just to let you know, I had really great benefits. And um, when you pay a premium, I think your benefits should still go to the end of the month. And they cut me off on December fourth, just like that. And that yeah. to me was the tackiest of all. Right. So, but trust me, we will be talking about this uh, company later on and uh, we will explain exactly the stress that I was put under after being there for two years and two million miles. And there's no conceivable reason someone should stress out over a job like that. So, and I don't, uh, I'm actually very glad that it's gone and uh, uh, onwards and upwards. Congratulations. Go after, yeah, for sure. Can you not go after made me mental pay and make them pay for two years of you know, corporations that are over a billion dollars, they have lawyers that can tie that up for years and they know that you're going to run out of money. Uh, you know, so uh, it's really kind of a no win situation. Sure. You could make a, a stink about it. And like, I didn't get a paycheck for three weeks and I got a paycheck for $10 in three weeks. That's, that's illegal, but you know what? They don't care. That's, cold hard trucking businesses sometimes and even though they say they're a family-run organization if you're not agreeing with them or you are giving a negative opinion well then you're looked at as a problem you're looked at as not a team player you're looked at as a challenge to them and they don't want that they only want yes people that say yes Yes, I'll do that. They don't want any negativity. And it's unfortunate that our lives have become that way when it comes to being employed by uh, companies nowadays because they basically don't care because they'll put your ass out of, the, out of the seat and the next guy will make 10 cents less than you a mile. And well, they just save 10 grand on you by getting rid of you. So they don't care if you've left. They like to say, oh, you know, we don't work that way and we have to, we, we hate to lose good drivers. I call bullshit to that. If they, if they cared so much about that, they, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, we tried to keep you around, but yeah. And then another suspension. And then of course they got leverage on you. And that's something you never want a company to have on you is leverage. Okay. Well, as uh, April wine would say, Ooh, what a night. And uh, we're going to play some of that. And then we're going to do some pylon shout outs after this on Highway Freaks.
Okay, so just ahead of the eye-opener, we've got our usual pylon shout-outs, and I'm sure everybody's got some. So, Cruz and Corinne, what's your pylon shout-out? Uh, tonight I've got blue and black pylons. For the blue one, I would like to give to you, Bry Guy, for sticking it out with your man cold through the podcast and for your new employment adventure that you're going to be heading into. Well, thank and you. You're welcome. For the black pylon, I would like to give that to um, the gym that I go to to work out fit for less. They, the Nanaimo location is horrible for having machines, cardio equipment that are in need of repair. And they're out, some of them are out for months. There's one adductor, abductor leg machine that's been out since the summer. And the head office just doesn't seem to want to fix them. And then a few days ago, I got an email saying that they're increasing the monthly rates that I pay. And I'm thinking, you're increasing rates, but you won't fix any of the equipment. It's all, a lot of it's broken. So that's why I want to give them a black pylon. Okay. Greg, who do you give pylons out tonight? Yeah, I got a blue and a black, I guess, also. Uh, blue one has to go to to my sweet, sweet boy, Trucky, my pit bull. Um, when I first got really, really sick here last several weeks, I, I never got into a really high fever. I broke into probably not over 102, but the first night I went to bed and it was probably 11 or 12 and I just started shivering so bad from, you know, just the chills from the fever. And he was laying in his normal spot at the foot on the foot of the bed down by my feet and, and wrapped up in his own blanket like he always is. And he felt me shivering and got up out from underneath his blanket, crawled up, crawled underneath all the blankets I was under and backed his back right up against my chest so that he could keep me warm. So my, my my sweet boy, Trucky, gets blue tonight. Black, man, okay. This goes to, uh, I won't name names, but the company who I get my TV service through has decided to raise the monthly bill for everybody, $11.66 a month for everybody, for nothing, for nothing. We get nothing, nothing new, nothing big, nothing cool. We still get the same relatively crappy service, but let's just raise everybody's bill almost $12 a month. Doesn't matter that we're in a recession, yada, 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 so... To this satellite company, you can bleep this out, a big fat <laughs> yeah, We're going we're gonna to have to do that. So. Oh, okay. Let's not bleep it out. Yeah. Okay, Pav, what's your pylon shout-outs? Uh, for me, I would give blue one to one of my friends, Jim. Really good guy helping me. So he's the guy for the gym worker for me. Uh. Red one, I uh, would still give it to my best sister, always. Every morning, if I wake up late, I always call her, so come late, can you make tea for me? I'll grab it on my way to work. She always says yes to me. And black one, 
uh i'm always a chill guy i never get angry or something but last week we have one i don't want to use the word the greg use but yeah really bad customer i booked him in everything goes smooth and at the end he kind of just for some reason become asshole or something and everything fell on to me so it was not a fun day at work so that customer i don't want to name him or anything but he will get the black pile on so yeah mm-hmm. Okay, GM Blacktop. Do you have any pylons tonight, buddy? Yeah, yeah. I got a um, a blue pylon. No, sorry, a red pylon. Uh, goes out to um, my sister, who's a good, good help, good friend of mine, who's always there for me. My oldest sister, and uh, another red pylon to to that boss's wife. Actually, say you know, it wasn't so bad. Actually, when I think back. And secondly, I got two black pylons. The first one goes out to the guy that uh, was supposed to put tire dressing on my truck and said he couldn't. And as I'm driving out, see that they're doing it to another truck. And of course, another black pylon goes to Killigley for throwing 100 people into the lion pit. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, I... Uh... I guess would these be red pylons to my my dogs, uh, Callie and Jewel? Because when I came home the night of December fourth, they just came bombing down the stairs and they were just all over me, and it was just a good feeling. It was a great feeling. So um, it's really nice to be home with my girls, and of course a red one to my wife Terrell, who's been taking care of me and nursing me a bit because uh, I don't realize the stress I was under and. Um, when it all comes down on you, you don't realize how sick you can get. So uh, that's kind of why I'm fighting that tonight because I was under such an amazing amount of stress. Now, the black one goes to James. You're a peon, and um, I hope wish you nothing but the worst. If you are listening to this, good, because I'm sure you are, okay? And um, Blair, you showed me the ultimate respect. So I give you a blue one. Um, at least we were bygones to be bygones when I quit. But James, <laughs> you're a pathetic loser. So anyway, that's my pylon shout outs. So now we're going to get into the eye opener part three. And uh, this is a great, great uh, final interview uh, with Brian Vollmer. Um, it's just been a wonderful, wonderful uh, interview that we've had him. And remember, number 57 has James P. White from Cruise FM on the Eye Opener show. So, as they say, drive safe and may the good news be yours. Every day I 
stage i ask the hard-hitting questions highlighting rock bands from the 80s and sharing a laugh or two how about celebrities or recent people in the news maybe even my trucker brothers and sisters with their stories or unique pets animal lovers charities or just that odd person out there making the headlines or even something totally off the wall so let's set your sights now to another eye-opener guest So you uh, you own an Airbnb. Do you tell us a kind of a crazy horror story? Ninety nine point nine 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 percent of my tenants are all good. Uh, I only had uh, one person really did anything to the house, and uh, I think it was like a Easter Sunday morning. I showed up and there was a baseball sized hole through the first two doors, and a rock in the hallway. Uh, so I thought, what the hell went on here? So. When I finally got a hold of the girl, I said, look, I don't know what went on here, but I want money for this door. He did like $1,000 damage. <laughs> she goes, she goes uh, well, I left in the middle of the night. I was so scared somebody threw a rock through the door. I said, well, first off, I said, um, uh, it's kind of a strange story, and why would you just leave? I said, most people would phone the cops, like, wouldn't you? And I said, secondly, I said, I talked to the neighbor and said he saw uh, a guy wrapped in a, a blanket having a cigarette talking on the phone on the side stoop on the morning. And thirdly, you said you left. And, and my neighbor said he saw you here the day after you said you left. So, like, you know, the story didn't check out. So I said, look, I want the money by the weekend or call the cops. <laughs> she goes, I thought you'd understand. I go, understand? What are you talking about? She goes, because you're the same age as my father. <laughs> I felt like saying, fuck, 
I said, your father's a delinquent. You know, <laughs> anyway, that, that was the only time I, I, you know, I got people there from Mexico, Colombia, East Indians all the time, right? Great tenants, leave the place spotless. And I, I say, you know, if you're going to rent a house, Airbnb is the way to go. You know, like, you know, when the name comes up to rent your house, it's got like stay at 25 places, 25 reviews, 25 five-star reviews. He's the guy for me or she, whatever, right? You got people that got, you know, something on the record that you don't, uh-uh, I don't care. One thing, not, not taking you. I'll leave it, leave it bought, sit empty for a month. I think, if I recall, you bought that Airbnb with money that you had made from albums that people said, why are you investing in albums? Wasn't that a, the story, how it went? Well, in a kind of a domino type of way, it actually started with, um, you know, Linda and I have been very frugal over our lives. We, we stored money away. We didn't go on expensive trips. We went on, you know, package trips down the Caribbean, stuff like that, like most people do, uh, you know, and um, didn't spend a lot of money on stuff. I drove a used car for many, many years, and we put our money, whatever we had, saved in mutual funds. Well, in, when the first mutual fund crash happened, I went, I said, I'm pulling it out. I'm going to buy real estate because by that time from working on Planet Helix, I knew enough about working on houses that I could do the grunt work myself. Uh, but the fine stuff, the fine carpeting, that I knew enough people I could bring them in and, you know, do that. So I figured I'd get a house in the neighborhood and I'd build up equity in the property by just, you know, putting my bone, blood and sweat into the property. So that's what I did. I went down the street and I... You know, I saw a place, and um, at that time was when I was doing, you know, we had we had uh, uh, lost a deal with Aquarius, and we were, I was doing all these uh, albums like B-sides and Rocking in My Outer Space, and I was doing them like 10000 bucks, and just to keep the band going, and people were going, you know, how can you possibly, uh, uh, you know, you're running the, the, the band's name in the dirt, right? Uh, because you're making an album for 10000 bucks when you used to have like a half million dollars to work with. And I said, well, what do you expect me to do? Just stop? Anyway, we finally got a deal with Sanctuary Records, and guess what? They paid me for all those albums. Right? They gave me an advance. They paid me the money. And with that money, I ended up putting the down payment on that house or down the street, and I bought it. And uh, and I think last year, the year before, I sold it. And for the money from that, I bought the Airbnb. And whereabouts is that? In London, Ontario. But it just goes to show you that if you never give up and you keep working hard, things just happen. I couldn't have foreseen all that, but that's the way it unfolded in my life, and it turned out to be a very good thing. It allows me to live in Florida in the winter and have extra cash, but I still don't blow money. And most most people I know that do have money, they don't go around blowing their money either. I got a friend down here that's probably a multimillionaire, and he still buys uh, um, appliances off a of marketplace, and you know he doesn't uh, blow his money because once once you you know scrimp and save for that many years, you're very hesitant to just go do that. Uh huh. Yeah. Do you, do you have kids, Brian? I have a daughter. She lives in Ottawa and two grandchildren. Yeah. And have you passed on some of this advice to them? 
like you know the, well, the no, kind they, of the fatherly they, advice that that you're 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 mentioning here. Well, if they ever ask my advice, I give it to them, right? But my daughter's pretty self-sufficient. She's always had two or three jobs. She's very, um, you know, she went to the university. She got a very good job, and uh, so she started off started off making more money than I made in the first 30 years of my working experience. So, you know. And what, p- what profession is she? She uh, approves um, uh, loan applications and stuff like that for the government. High oh, security okay. clearance. So she never got into the music business whatsoever? No. Okay. And what does she think about her, her old man that's still still kicking with Helix? Because you guys are still touring. So does, does she think he should have given it up long ago, or is she all supportive of it? I think she has mixed emotions. Because, and right. the reason I say that is because... She grew up with a rocker, right? Well... Remember, kids don't see it like that when you get a divorce. They're not thinking of, how's the band doing? They're looking right. at mom and dad just split up. So, you know, I think that that oh. really is up, no matter it how does. nicely it's done, how, you know what I mean? Like, and uh, I think that really uh, affected my daughter. And um, I don't know. So I don't know. You know, like, I'm sure she appreciates the fact I'm in a band and I sing well. And you know, she comes up to the shows and stuff. But uh, if she would have... Mm-hmm. You know, had, had her uh, a choice uh, between me and a regular father, she probably would have picked a regular father. Is my mm-hmm. probably my thought. Right, right. Okay, um, let's get on to uh, uh, some of the bands that you've toured with. Um, uh, I, I mentioned Def Leppard. Did you tour with them, by the way? Have you ever gone uh, on stage with Def Leppard? Never. Never I met Def Leppard. Okay. You met Joe, I met Joe Elliott? Okay. They were the first okay. band ever to do an outside song, uh, one of their songs, first outside band. That was She's Too Tough. Oh, She's Too Tough. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they, almost, they almost pulled that song at the last second on us. And by that time, we'd spent like $20,000 on the song. Okay. What was your impression of, of, of the band members? Who? What band members? Def Leppard? Def Leppard, yeah. Well, I don't know. You meet people for like thirty seconds. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. you met you met Alice Cooper for longer. Do you want to tell us that story? It was a real gentleman. It was a person that heavily influenced me when I was growing up in music. I used to carry Alice Cooper albums when I was hitchhiking for God's sakes. Who does that? And when we finally got a chance to play with Alice Cooper, uh it was that blew my mind. Anyway, I wanted to meet Alice Cooper, so I'm sitting at the table in the cafeteria the first night we're playing on tour with him. I see the road manager. I go, look at how can I meet Alice and get a picture with him and get something signed. He goes, well, we'll set it up. He says, after the show tomorrow night, he says, make sure you got your camera ready. We'll come down to the dressing room. We'll take you down. I'm thinking, yeah, sure, right. That's going to happen. Sounds like, you know, one of these pie-in-the-sky promises. But I tell everybody in the band, he says, get your camera ready. Sure enough, 15 minutes after the show the next night, road manager comes down, leads us down the hallway. He says, got to wait here until he's done with the person he's in with now. We waited about 10 minutes, and we went in. And before we went in, he says, take all the time you want. There's no time limit. 
you'll answer all your questions and whatever you want. We went in and we were talking to, you know, there's people asked about Bob Ezrin and he was just the kindest, most polite, nicest. You know, he was everything that I, I had hoped he would be. Just a very nice person. And did, and did he go by his real name or did you just call him Alice? We just called him Alice. Okay. But uh, he seems like a real nice guy. Did you ever go golfing with him? Never. Oh, okay. Are you a golfer, by the way? Very little. I like golfing, but uh, no, I'm not very good at at all. I don't go golfing regularly at all either. So you're probably the whack shit golfer. You know, whack shit. You know, you know, that one... It went that way, I don't right? Th- I, don't think I've, I don't think I've golfed in 10 years. Okay. I've been on some nice courses. Though. I've golfed in Angus Glen. I golfed on that really nice course out in Nova Scotia. Right. Right. That sounds Mostly that because sounds we good. got it for free. We got to give it to us, you know? Hey, it was free, free, free green fees. Oh, okay. Thanks. So, so I know you've you've toured with so many bands. I, I don't know if you can just name, you know, fifteen or twenty of them off. But uh, uh, I mean, I could myself. I know you you've toured with the likes of Quiet Riot and White Snake, Motorhead, uh, but Kiss. Everybody wants to know about Gene Simmons. Is he a great guy? Is he a, a butthead? I mean, I've heard so many conflicting things. I know when I, you know, I interviewed Darby Mills, she, uh, she had some interesting stories. Do you have a kiss story that you want to tell uh, the freaks out there? Well, Gene is just Gene, you know, he's larger than life. Kiss are larger than life. So when you're surrounded that all day long, I think you take on a certain air of, you know, how can you deny who you are? Uh, but I never, like, <laughs> he did some funny things, to tell you the truth. Like, after playing for a couple of days with Kiss, he took us into a room and he gave us a freaking lecture. Like, we were all in grade one or something. He's going, nobody wants a, an imitation of Kiss. He thought we were stealing stuff from their show or something, but we were really just out there trying to emulate them, emulate their success. Like we mm-hmm. were, we were watching a show and realizing they talked slower because they were in an auditorium and basically shouted out stuff. And you know what I mean? Like very clearly. So everybody understood every single word and stuff <laughs> like that. And he, he took that like we were trying to steal or show. <laughs> I don't know what he thought. Um, but then there was another time when we were on the plane and I was reading Last Waltz in Vienna about Jews that died at Auschwitz and we were standing in the lineup for the bathroom of all things on the plane. How I ended up in the same section of the plane as him is beyond me. But we were standing there waiting for the washroom and he said, uh, what are you reading? I saw Last Waltz in Vienna. He said, he said, I think you said my grandmother died in Auschwitz. It was either his grandmother or his grandfather. And it was one of those rare moments when, you know, you saw the real Gene Simmons. He was, right. He was, you could see the emotion in his face when he said that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You actually had empathy. Uh, yeah, like, you know, I, mean, I, 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 I like Gene. I, I would never really, I would never say, you know, we wrote a song called Gene Simmons says rock is dead. Rock and roll. 
I was uh I was I was in Cleveland, Mississippi last night. Well, I still am for that matter. But anyway, there's this chicken place right beside here. It's called Dodge's Fried Chicken. And all these black people go in there, colored people, whatever you want to call it, African American. You know, I'm I I think they're great people anyway. But anyway, they all go in there at eleven o'clock at night and you can just smell this the amount of pot in the air is just insane. 
and they're all got the munchies for chicken, right? And the there's a big sign that says, uh, with a bucket of chicken, you get an 89 cent uh, a slushy, right? And uh, I was talking to my wife, and uh, I, I just came up with this funny commercial on the spur of the moment. Because, I mean, you could just see these people. Like, I was walking my dog, Bandit. He's an American bit, uh, pit bull. And uh, they're, they're go, they go, that's a dog. Yeah, that's cool. I'm going to go in and get some chicken. Have a nice day. Because <laughs> they were just out of it. So, so anyway, I make up this commercial. And, and I'm using my, uh, my southern accent as best as I can. And I'm going, uh, yeah, come on down to Dodge's Fried Chicken. 89 cents, three for one slushies. That's you get down here in Cleveland, Mississippi. That's M I S S R P P I. Yes, come on down, you know, and then you go, yeah, yeah, it's it's really, really good chicken, really good chicken. Three for one, come on down to Dodge's Chicken. And you can just see the commercial because these people are just coming out fried out of their minds and they got buckets of chicken. It's just, just, it's so, it's comical. You had to be here to see it because literally well, you could just smell. Well, you can just smell the gunja in the air. It's unreal. It was just well, funny. I remember one time we played uh, we played Summerfest in Milwaukee. Brent will tell you this. Okay. And we're, uh -huh. we're trying to find our way out of town. It's late after the show that night, right? We're trying to find our way out of town. So we stopped uh -huh. this cop to ask directions. He's by one of the uh, uh, entrances to the, the, the highway, right? We stopped to see this cop, so he stopped. He had a hooker and the beside him, and he had a a, a forty pounder whiskey between his legs. He says, "I'll show you the way out." He throws his friggin' <laughs> flashers on. And he led us out of Milwaukee. No way! With a bottle between his legs and a hooker on his right hand side. Oh my lord! <laughs> no way! That is oh. that's classic. Okay, so for some rapid fire here for nine minutes. I'm going to fire them at you. So, okay. Um, Brent Turner. My brother. Okay. All right. Rock you. Band's biggest song. Okay. All right. Uh, Kiss. Great tour. Okay. White Snake. Great tour. Okay. Brent's Guitars. <laughs> flying in a tree what's that flying in a tree flying in a tree okay uh, slow moving walter a uh, request for her uh, uh smoke in the water that we got up the shed here in Hulk Quebec do you remember you know, that you know, story cool song, I mean slow walking walter a fire engine guy yeah <laughs> yeah Brett told that story on the on the, when we interviewed him and the way oh, he told that. Kinds. Oh, we oh, had another one too. I, I had a chick come up. She goes, "You know, the play there's there's a there's no French, you know, there's a lady that's sure." I go, "There's a lady that's sure." I don't think I know that one. She goes, "You know the song. Everybody knows the song." Well, no, I don't think I know. There's a lady that's sure. She, I says, "Sing it for me." She goes, "Okay." He goes, "Uh." There's a lady that sure all that glitters is gold. <laughs> and stairway to heaven, right? Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. gosh. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. 
EMI. Every mistake imaginable. Right. Exactly. Okay. Um, what's your favorite? Uh, what's your favorite movie that uh, is a rock uh, that's related to rock music? Uh, Apocalypse Now. Apocalypse okay, great Now. Soundtrack. Oh, yeah, great soundtrack. Great, great soundtrack, oh. yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, did you ever get to play in the Northwest Territories? No. Never, never. Okay, all right. Um, and you're still Irish. touring, right? You, you, you've got some tours, still tours left with Helix, right? Yeah, we just got our first date for the next year. It's in outside of Chicago. Oh, okay, great. Okay, and who are the current members of the band? Uh, Jamie Constance on drums, Daryl Gray on uh, bass guitar, Chris Trilke and Mark Chitchkin on guitars, and myself singing, Neil Fenske on sound. All right. Okay. Um, solo albums. Uh, indulgent. <laughs> okay. Because you did some yourself, right? That's correct. I'll probably do more myself too at the Seven Year Rich guys, especially. Mm-hmm. Right. It's called Seventy Rich. Seven Year Itch. Seven Year Itch. Okay. Yeah, the guy. And, that, those are the guys that I wrote Pigs Fly with, and also uh, Rocking in My Outer Space. Oh, okay. All right. Elvis Presley. Apple's Casing. That's where I was when I found out he died. No kidding. No kidding. Okay. Uh, the cap is casing in. Cap is casing Ontario with that weird looking bear that's still up, that statue still on there. I always thought they should have changed it. it it'd look way better. Although Hearst, Ontario has the best statue in Northern Ontario with those wolves and those moose. I've, have you ever played in Hearst? Yes. Queen's Hotel where they smoke uh, oilers right out in the street in the middle of the day, or they used to. When it was illegal. No kidding. No kidding. Where the bike gang didn't have any bikes. And and the bike gang didn't have the, any bikes. But it, but it, but yeah, it they is the, the Northern hot, Commandos. You, you know what their favorite claim to fame is? It's the, it's the home of Claude Giroux, right, from the Ottawa Senators, who plays for the Ottawa Senators okay. now. That's their that's their claim to fame, right? So, well, um, I remember when we played Hearst. It wasn't too much up in Hearst. It was pretty small. I remember the, oh, yeah. my bed in the room. We played the Queen's Hotel, and my bed in the room nearly took up the whole friggin' room. What is the smallest venue you ever played, and what's your largest venue, to to, to your knowledge? Uh, smallest venue we ever played? I would have to say probably Espanola, Ontario, at the Espanola Hotel. Uh, how, the how probably seen each stadium, about 70,000 people with the Scorpions. With the scorpions, really? Okay, yeah. yeah. And but well, we played a lot of big, big venues. We played Long Beach Arena, Salt Palace, and Salt Lake City. Played Maple Leaf Gardens. We played uh, Nassau Coliseum, sold out with Rush. Meadowlands, sold out with Rush. Uh, we played, you know, with White Saint Quiet Riot all through twenty thousand seat arenas that summer in nineteen eighty four. And w- w- would you yeah. have rated Neil? Neil, would you have rated Neil Parrott as the 
greatest drummer that you've ever seen? Well, he wasn't my kind of a drummer, right? I was more into rock drummers, if you want to know the truth. I wasn't really a big Rush fan. Okay. I know it's like blasphemy to some people, but uh, no, I was more into straight ahead, four in the floor rock and roll and drummers like, um, I don't know, he's uh, uh, Charlie Watts, people uh-huh. like that. Right, right. Okay. And what instruments can you play yourself? Ringo Starr, another great drummer. What instruments can I play? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I can play like three chords on a guitar. A little bit of piano. Oh, you play piano. Okay. Have you played oh, piano no, on play any, enough, any I of play enough yet. I play enough piano to do my vocal lessons. That's it. Oh, so you, you haven't played uh, any piano on any albums? No, I don't play songs. Okay. Yeah. No, I know. You're, you're definitely the voice of Helix. There's, there's no doubt about it. Alas, our time is definitely have come to, uh, to an end, Brian. It's... It's been a it's been a whirlwind of of, of uh, information, and um, you know, uh, you were you were saying that I should cut this down to an hour, but in my opinion, ninety minutes is just not enough. And uh, you know, I know you. Well, wrote you know, a, book. a lot of stories I told you, uh, I'm going to put together in a book just called Stories, uh, because people always say to me, you know, you got the greatest stories, right? And I always they come up just in conversation or. I'll be going through a, a picture in my scrapbook, and it'll, you know, jog a memory, right? Right now, I'm putting together my scrapbooks. I'll probably have like 40 or 50 by the time I'm done. 40 so or 50. For those, for those out there that want to purchase Helix Music, where can they go? Well, they can go to our website. They get CDs, vinyl. Uh, digital, they can get off of Indie Tunes. That's I-N-D-I-E Tunes, T-U-N-Z.com. Okay. That's where you get all the digital on so many albums. But the actual right. hard copy, the CDs and the vinyl, you can get through uh, merch in motion. And just look up planethelix.com and uh, it'll take you to the uh, merchandise section. Okay, great, great. So taking us out on the Eye Opener, Rock You. On Highway Freaks, this is the Eye Opener Show. Brian, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Brian.